Today we're going to talk about, from the same passage that we've been looking at, we're going to be talking about infinitely more fullness that God has for us. You know, God is full of love, God is full of grace, God is full of truth, God is full of mercy, God is full of power, God is full of compassion, whatever you could think of this morning when it comes to loving truth and justice, God is filled with that sort of love for you and I this morning. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Corey. I mean this in the kindest way possible. There is a sense in the Spirit when something is sweet in the Spirit. There was a song we used to sing called Sweet Holy Spirit, Sweet Heavenly Dove. There was a sweetness of spirit in Pastor Corey's message last week. And I want us to give him a hand of thanksgiving. That was a powerful message, Pastor Corey. And... You know, i got to tell you, and I hope you take this, I sat there so proud of you, but also proud of the ministry that you brought forth, and I know that's because you've got a praying wife behind you over there, praying for the anointing of God upon your life. So give Jeanette a hand as well. And stand with me now, let's go to the Word of the Lord this morning, because of uh, there's so much to share, and I want to wrap this up today in a way that I hope you're going to remember for a long time. If you'll look with me again at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. When I think of all of this, when he thinks about how Christ died for us, how God sent his son, I fall to my knees. In other words, he surrenders. We talked about in the first message, we're not a kneeling culture, you know, but we kneel in worship to the Lord. And I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. We talked about how God empowers us in one of the messages. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And now may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience. Experience, say that word with me, experience, say it again, experience, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Wow, what a powerful statement. As a matter of fact, Paul is under such a heavy anointing of the Holy Spirit as he writes this, and it's left for us as the word of God. He begins the doxology. He begins what we would call a doxology, and that's what I've asked you to memorize, and we put the scripture into your outline each week that you could take home with you. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Lord, I pray you receive glory and honor always through the ministry of Woodland Church. Lord, through the people who make up Woodland Church. Father, I pray for those that are watching at home today as well, that as we hear your word, that your word will empower us, it will sanctify us, it will remove the blinders from our own eyes, God, to what you do with a people whose hearts are fully committed to you. We love you, Jesus, and now we ask you, help us to hear things we've never heard, see things we've never seen from the word of the Lord, and comprehend this great mystery of godliness that is ours. In Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You know, doxology is a 
interesting word. I remember the first time that I preached in Greece and I spent two weeks preaching and teaching in a beautiful city on the coast of Greece. And as I was doing these classes and preaching in the evenings, if people would worship, and you know how we will go glory, glory to God when we're worshiping sometime. You could hear the Greeks as they were going, doxa, doxa. And I remember thinking, doxa, I knew that was the Greek word for glory, but doxology, doxology. And what and ology comes from the word theology. And what we're talking about is glorious theology, glorious thinking. When we think about what God has asked of us, He's asked us simply to have faith in Him. He's asked us simply to trust in Him. But one of the other things that God asks us to do, don't miss this, is God asks us to pray. God asks us to pray for salvation. He asks us to pray to invite Christ into our hearts. He asks us to pray for forgiveness of our sins. He asks us to pray for His will to be done upon this earth. He's asked us to pray for the kingdom of God to come upon this earth. He asks us to pray for our daily bread. He asks us to pray for the forgiveness not only of our sins, but that we would have the power of God to forgive those who sin against us. He asks us to pray for wisdom. He asks us to pray for discernment. He asks us to pray for healing. He asks us to pray for deliverance. The list could go on and on. Of the things that God asks us to pray, and they're glorious things. If you're praying with small faith, you're not praying with the faith that God gives you. If you're praying with doubt, and if you're praying because it's perfunctory or it's your duty, but you're not really expecting anything, you're not praying with the faith that God has given you. He also prays us, asks us to pray for lost people. He asked us to pray about the harvest, and He asked us also to pray that God would give us more laborers for the harvest. As I thought about what Paul was writing here, and this glorious thought, now all glory to God, he just can't help himself. He wants to worship the Lord. I have found myself on many occasions, and I have had to learn. I was the guest in some unbelievers' homes before the pandemic broke out. They wanted my wife and I to come have dinner with them. And so Becky gives me the instructions that I need. She says, you need to be careful now. These, these folks are not Christians. These folks won't understand everything. And I found myself from time to time, and my friends who invited me, they knew this is just who I was. I couldn't help, but when your heart is filled with thoughts of Christ and what He does, I'm sharing with them what God does, what God says. And I can remember their children looking at their parents. And we got in the car later and I said, I was trying to tame my tongue. I was trying to keep it under control. I said, but it was obvious those children had never heard that kind of talk before. So later I was apologetic, you know, for my poor behavior. And yet I found out that was the kind of thinking they were hoping that I was bringing to their home. Glorious thoughts, glorious thinking. We hear God's name blasphemed. We hear God's name belittled. We hear people say all kinds of things that aren't true about God. It's time the people of God thought glorious thoughts about God again. Can you say amen to that? And so I'm praying for renewal in our church. I'm asking you this morning, what occupies your thinking? What occupies your thought life? What is your thought centered upon? Are you thinking with fear about this pandemic? Are you thinking with worry and anxiety? Are you consumed with the hateful, spiteful politics of the day that we're living in? 
You know, I personally, I just finished reading on our family vacation this last week. I finished reading a wonderful book called The Arsenal of Democracy, and it was about Detroit, and I read it with such pride of our city, and looking back at the contribution that this city made and this community made to to the effort in World War II to defeat fascism and Nazism and to defeat the aggression of the Japanese, as I read that book, I was just totally fascinated. And I remember thinking, you know, we were caught unawares. I don't think America can be destroyed by an outside attack. I could be wrong, but I don't think America could be destroyed by an outside attack. But we can destroy ourselves from within by our politics and our spitefulness and our hatefulness to one another. So I'm asking you this morning, what occupies your thoughts? Is it fear? Is it worry? And I'm asking you to refocus your thoughts this morning upon the God that cannot fail, upon the God that saves the lost and heals the sick and delivers the captive, upon the King of kings that is coming back again one day, and let our hearts and our minds be filled with glorious thinking. And when I say renewal, what I simply mean by this is renewal is about putting God back at the center of your life. It's about putting God right back at the center, putting Christ in the center of your thinking, putting Christ in the center of your planning, putting Christ in the center of your dreaming. The Bible often talks about our relationship with God like fire. It uses the illustration of fire, fire that would consume the dross in our life, fire that would consume the enemies of God, fire that would consume you and I and make us passionate followers of Christ. When I was speaking in Greece, I was referring to that just a few moments ago, I remember going to the original Olympic Stadium. I see it in my mind's eye as I'm talking to you now, and how inspired I was there, and I prayed a big, hairy, audacious, bold prayer at the Olympic Stadium. I'm a boy from Macon, Georgia, and I prayed this prayer, Lord, if you will send the Olympics to Atlanta, we will evangelize the nations. And I didn't know how to evangelize the nations. I didn't know how we could evangelize the nations, but I prayed, Lord, if you will send them, we're going to do our best. And over the next few years, my life was consumed with raising up an army, and over 7,000 young people joined us. One organization alone called Light for the Lost gave us a quarter of a million dollars to purchase literature to be able to pass out. Another magazine called The Evangel changed their masthead for the first and only time in the history of that magazine to put our logo across the top of it called More Than Gold. People came from all students. Students came from all over America. I was amazed at the cooperation, not only from the city of Atlanta, but from the Olympics and churches and people and districts who volunteered to help. It had never been done like this before. We even had teams of students coming along, picking up trash, changing towels for the athletes inside of their Olympic villages. And for months afterwards, we received cards as people crossed the line and gave their lives to Jesus Christ, all because of of a simple, bold prayer that was prayed in Athens, Greece. I want you to know when the power of God is at work in your life, you dream impossible dreams. You know with people it's impossible, but you know with God all things are possible. I remember a group of those students 
standing on the steps of the capital of Atlanta, and they were chanting, fire, fire, Atlanta's on fire. And you know, those of us who grew up in the South, we know all about the burning of Atlanta. We've seen it reenacted time and time again of how Atlanta was leveled to the ground and burned to the ground. And the story of Atlanta's rebuilding, the city you see today, is not the city that you saw uh, in, in before the, the burning of Atlanta. And as they were chanting that, all of a sudden they said, fire, fire, Atlanta's on fire. We're going to lift the name of Jesus higher. And that chant became something that was kind of like a cheer for all of us throughout the Olympics. Friends, I want you to know when the fire of God comes upon you, it consumes your fears. It consumes the obstacles that separate us from being able to talk to the nations. It makes a way possible. But I remember praying this. I remember praying on the steps of the Capitol, Lord, don't let these students, don't let these youth pastors lose their fire and lose their passion for you because you know that's the nature of fire. If you don't tend fire, it goes out. If you don't keep adding fuel to the fire, it goes out. And some of you may have known what it's been like to have the fire of God burning in your heart, but lately you haven't felt that flame. Lately you haven't experienced that power. You see, some of you had an experience with God that once you could describe like fire in your bones, like a fire shut up in your bones as Jeremiah described it. And yet now you have this very faint desire for God. Your thoughts aren't glorious about God anymore. They're consumed with fear, politics, money, whatever it may be, your health. You see, I think the greatest sin is not the sin of adultery. I think the greatest sin is not the sin of lying or stealing. I think the greatest sin, now listen, I think, and you can disagree with me if you like, but I'm still right. I think the greatest sin is to have a weak desire for God. I think the greatest sin is to have a lukewarm love for God. I think when Jesus said, I would that you were either hot or cold, but don't be complacent. Don't be lukewarm. You see, that's the great sin of the church is we get satisfied with what God has given us. We get satisfied with security and salvation. We get satisfied with the comfort of our life and no longer is there the fire that consumes our soul. We can be attracted to the gifts of the Spirit. We can be attracted to the doctrines of healing or we can be attracted to the doctrines of prosperity. We can be attracted to miracles. Some people are even attracted to learning more and more about the Bible and soon they become what the Apostle Paul described as puffed up, self-inflated and self-important because of their knowledge about the Bible. God is not so much interested in that as He is your passion and your fire being consumed with the love for Jesus Christ. You see, when God told Moses, He said, Moses, my people have become a stubborn people. My people have become satisfied with what I blessed them with. Moses, I did miracles for them. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 33. I did miracles, Moses. I parted the Red Sea. They were slaves, Moses. And yet when they left Egypt, people were pouring into them gold and silver. Moses, they became wealthy because of my favor upon them. But they took my blessings and they made an idol out of it. You see, when your thoughts are not glorious about God, they're going to be glorious about something. When your thoughts are not glorious about God, you're going to build an idol for yourself somewhere. And he said, Moses, I cannot come among them anymore lest I destroy them. And Moses prayed 
prayed. He says, oh God, this is where a leader prays. Oh God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory again. I've seen you in the fire on the mountain. I've been in your presence. But we, your people, I would say America, I would say even this congregation, we need, your pastor needs once again, the glory of God, glorious thoughts, the doxology. Now all glory be to him. And so God says to Moses, he says, Moses, if I was to let you see my face, Moses, if I was to let you see me, it would destroy you. So I'm going to hide you in the rock and cover you with my hand. And the New Testament teaches us that the rock is Jesus Christ. And you see, everything changes when you're in Christ. Everything changes when you're in Christ. Let me say it again. Everything changes when you're in Christ because then you can behold the glory of God. Not the fullness yet, but you see what Jesus is like and your life is ready for the fire of God. I hope this morning that you will hear what I'm saying. The point of the fullness of Christ, the point of what Paul is, excuse me, is making here in Ephesus is to say to us, if you're going to be a passionate follower of Christ, you must have the fullness of Christ because we become what we think about. We become what we think of. We become what we worship. We become either glorious or inglorious. And the Bible tells us He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And that doesn't mean the wrinkles in my shirt this morning from the first service. It means the pure, clean life that God gives us in Christ. Not my works of righteousness, but His. So you say, Pastor... What is the glory of God? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. You see, God's glory, according to the Word of God, is the presence of His unfailing love, His compassion, and His justice. It's not a feeling, and there have been times when I've had those glorious feelings as well as those glorious thoughts. And if you want to change your thoughts, then you begin to change what you worship. If you're worshiping money, if you're worshiping your career, if you're worshiping your health, if you're worshiping anything other than God, you're going to become like that. But when your thoughts are upon God, eventually you'll become godly. When your thoughts are upon God, eventually you'll become compassionate. When your thoughts are upon God, eventually you'll love His justice. You say, oh, how can I love His justice? Because you're hidden in the rock. The only way I can love the justice of God, the only way I can love the holiness of God is because I'm hidden in Christ. That's what makes the cross so absolutely powerful that Christ died for my sins. I will stand before God not because I'm just. I will stand before God not because of my works. But you and I will stand before God because of glorious love He showed us by pouring His wrath out upon our sins in Christ Jesus at Calvary. And so when Moses prays, he gets the name of God. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to think about that. God doesn't weak at your sin or my sin. God doesn't weak at a nation's sin. God doesn't wink at the church's sin. But God paid the price for our sins in Christ at Calvary. And it's why we don't fear the justice of God. 
we love that just as much as we do the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God. Meditate upon it this week. Ask the Lord, show me your glory. Ask the Lord to open up your word like I've never read it before in my life. Show me the mysteries of your word. Help me to understand your word. Help me to apply your word. Because glory comes from truth. When Moses was, was hidden in the rock and the glory of God came by, what he saw was not the face of God. Now don't miss this. He saw and he heard the truth of God. And when you meditate upon the Word of God, you meditate upon the truth of God. And the truth of God is what sets you free when you apply it to your lives. Isn't that what our Savior taught us? That Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free if you do these things. You see, God's glory comes through meditating upon the Scripture. Dallas Willard, who you know is someone that I love and I loved, he's now in heaven. I remember years and years ago, our current general superintendent asked me for my recommendation of my favorite book, and so I bought him a copy of, of Dallas Willard's book and sent it to him, The Disciplines. Because in reading that book, I had learned how to discipline not only my thoughts and not only how we did life, but my devotional life. And such a powerful book. I found out later that Dallas's wife was from my hometown of Macon, Georgia. And he was a philosophy pre professor at a secular university. And so I became even more fascinated by this man who could engage with the greatest minds in the nation when it came to philosophy and secular minds. And he was welcomed by so many. I wanted to learn from anybody that knew how to communicate with great minds and lost people. But listen to what Dallas said, to glorify God, now listen, to glorify God means to think and act in such a way that the goodness, the greatness, and the beauty of God are constantly obvious to ourselves and all those around us. It means to live in such a way that when people see us, they think, thank God for God. Wow. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I've said, thank God for Jesus. I've said on my at times, God, I just thank you that you are. Without you, I wouldn't be. You say, well, without your mother, you wouldn't be. Without God, my mother wouldn't be. And her mother before her. Thank God for God. If God would create such a life, what's he saying? He's saying that when you and I live consumed with the doxology, glorious thoughts, when we live consumed with God, people will look at you and say, Pat, thank God for God if He would create a life like yours. Wayne, thank God for God if He would create a life like yours. That's the goal of our lives as a congregation. That's the goal of my, of my family. That's the goal of all of us that people would look at our lives and not brag about us. Years and years ago, I told Woodland, when you walk out of this church, talk about Jesus. Talk about Christ. Tell everyone you know about Jesus. It's an old saying, but it's a true saying. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Without Him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Thank God for God if you would create a life like yours, Pamela. Thank God for God. Recently, I was in a meeting of our community's leaders. I asked how we could serve our community better as a congregation. This pastor's heart 
was filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and the healthy kind of pride that takes personal responsibility in developing excellence. When it was said, oh, pastor, please just keep doing what your church is doing. You're serving this church. Woodland is serving in so many ways. People were glorifying God for you. Another leader said to me recently, and he said it not in a trite way, in a cute way, but he said it with gratitude. If I was to call his name, you would know him, every one of you here. And he said to me, he said, I can tell you where God lives. He lives at 24101 Van Horn Road, Brownstown, Michigan. <laughs> oh, God doesn't live in this building. He's talking about you and what God does in your life. You see, when you think glorious thoughts of God, Suddenly you begin to become godly. Suddenly you begin to live like Jesus taught us to live. Suddenly you're endued with His power. You're endued with the fullness of God. Which leads me to the final point I'd like to make this morning before we go to our growth work is I have to be made complete with Christ's fullness. I have to be made complete with the fullness of Christ. Now you see, this is the part where if I was an unbeliever, this is the part that I would struggle with. If God is this infinite God, remember the theme of this series has been infinitely more. If God is this infinite God that created the universe, if God is this infinite God that created all the galaxies, if God is so big that earth could be his footstool, how in the world are you going to fit infinity into my life? How in the world are you going to put the fullness of God into your heart or into my heart? Oh, that's what being in Christ is all about this morning. It's about who you belong to. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Circle that in your outline this morning. You will be made complete with all the fullness that comes from God. You see, you were meant, look at me, don't miss this, you were meant to contain the fullness of God. That's why God created human beings. In Russia in the 19th century, alcoholism was more rampant than what we've read about it in times past in the last century. The very soul of the nation was being destroyed by alcohol addiction and different addictive substances that came from the East. Men would lie in the gutters of public cities and streets. The Russian Orthodox priests would not, they felt it was beneath them to go out, and they said, if, if they want help, let them come to the church. And, of course, church was the last place that many of these alcoholics and addicts wanted to be. But there was one priest that history records his name was John Kronstadt. John would go out into the streets and he would lift these, these poor men. He would lift them up out of the gutters, these poor women out of the gutters. And he would hold them and he would pray over them and he would minister to them and try to care for them. And he was famous for saying, you were meant for the fullness of God. You were not meant to be an alcoholic. You were not meant to be a drug addict. You were not meant to lie in the gutter. You were created for glorious things. You were created to contain the fullness of God. And whether it's your child, or whether it's your lost son or daughter, or your lost husband or wife, or your neighbor, they were meant for the fullness of God. 
That's the passion that must grip us once again if we want the glory of God manifested in the church and manifested in our nation. Oh yes, I want to sing God bless America. But I wonder today, is America ready for the visitation of God? I think not. But I think what America is ready for is for a church that is full of the glory of God, that can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the furthest corners of this world, and where people look at us and say, thank God for God, if He would create a life like that, where people would look at you and say, thank God for God, if He could transform your life. I want this gospel. And as they invite Christ into their hearts, they are hidden in the rock, which is Christ Jesus, and then we we can expect another outpouring of the glory of God upon America again. That is what we long for. So I want to call us back to five core commitments of this congregation for you to think about and pray about this week. Number one, I must be committed to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Everybody needs Jesus. My enemy needs Christ. My neighbor needs Christ. The rich, the poor, the lonely, the happy, the left, the right, the Republican, the Democrat, everybody needs Jesus. And we can lose sight of that. Don't ever forget that, friend. We can lose sight of that as a congregation. It's why I prayed on the steps of the Atlanta Capitol. I prayed, don't let them lose this fire, Lord. Look at what Paul wrote to a church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. There's no other way to God except through Christ. He is the rock of safety. And so I'm asking you today, would you once again recommit to the gospel? Does anybody remember Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets? Those two little grumpy old, remember those guys? We used to have two little old men here in our church. They're both in heaven now. But Becky turned around to them one Sunday morning because they would sit right behind Becky and they would go, sermon's too long, the building's too cold, the building's too hot, music's too loud. Becky finally turned around to them one day and says, y'all remind me of those two grumpy old men on the Muppets. They loved it. They were laughing. That made it worse every week for poor Becky, you know, as they began to just come prepared for all these little things to say to her. But we love those two men. But a survey was done recently of what people said after leaving church. They were saying the building's too hot. The building's too cold. The seats are too hard. The sermon's too long. I really ask, is that possible that the sermon is too long? I think not. You know, they, they ask, the music is too loud. Oh, we leave church. We want to leave church with our mind filled with glorious thoughts about God, hidden in Christ. Can you say amen this morning? We must be committed to the gospel. Number two, we must love our neighbors. You see, our location defines our mission. Where God has planted us here, our neighbors, the high schools around us, our communities where you live, it all is my mission. My mission is also in my subdivision where I live at. One of my neighbors just went to heaven to be with Christ. 
I want to say thank you for those of you that have been helping us with our media ministry. He'd never darkened the doors of our church. He was taught that it was wrong to come to a church that was not of his denomination. He was taught that it was wrong, but suddenly he began listening. He began watching. He began singing our courses. He would come down to the house and we would pray together. And now he's in heaven with Jesus Christ. And his wife told me he loved to sing the songs and the courses with his children that we did around here. They were watching the children's ministries. You see the power of God. Our location defines our mission. Our neighbors are our mission field as well. It's not just the farthest reaches of this planet. The Bible tells us don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. Number three, I must be courageous. It takes courage to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? It takes courage to take a bold stand for Jesus when everything in our world wants us to be weak or wants us to be silent or to be quiet because the world's systems are opposed to everything that is about the gospel. But Paul wrote about the God who could do infinitely more in Ephesus when he confided in the church in Corinth. Listen to this. Remember, our whole series has come from the book of Ephesians. But Paul confides to the Corinthians, he says, in the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great great work, although many oppose me. Ministry takes courage. Keep serving. Keep praying. Keep giving. Keep going. Keep being involved. Keep sacrificing. Fourthly, we must be fruitful. Fruitfulness is not about becoming a larger church. Fruitfulness is about becoming a fruitful church. You see, it's all about the size of the harvest. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. There's no burnover fields. There's no place that cannot be touched with the gospel. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. God is prepared to do more in your community, in your subdivision, on your block, in your city. God is prepared to do more in Brownstown, in Woodhaven, in Trenton, in Flat Rock, in New Boston, in Huron. God is able to do infinitely more than we could ever think or ask when the people of God are consumed with the doxology, the glorious thoughts about God. Anytime somebody tells you it can't be done here, that's the devil speaking. That is not God. Everything is possible with him. And then finally this morning, I must be willing to pay the cost. That's the core commitment. In the first message, I talked to you about surrender. When Paul says, when I think about all that Christ has done for me, do you know what Christ has done for you? Do you know that God loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for your sins? There's no way you could have paid for your sins. There's no way I could pay for my sins. There's no way that I could ever make it right. There's nothing I could do to make it right. But God loved you and He loved me so much that He poured His wrath, His justice, out upon sin in Christ He did that for you. He did that for me. And friends, that's the most glorious thought I can think of. I have done military services in some of our nation's national memorials, burial grounds, and cemeteries. I've led services 
and prayed with people and talked about the glorious sacrifice that these young men made. In one particular cemetery, the average age of the young soldier buried there, American soldier in Europe, was 19 years old. I'll never forget it. And I talked about the glorious sacrifice and a master sergeant came up to me later with tears in his eyes because how could I talk about their sacrifice without talking about the sacrifice of God's only son for you and me you see that's how much God loves you and God is going to build his church people often talk about this they quote Jesus is saying if you'll look in your Bible it's on your app if you want to follow me there I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it that's good news Hell is not going to defeat the church. Hell may defeat a country. Hell may defeat a business or an organization. You see, I'm not really worried about any power from outside that would destroy our nation. But I'm terribly worried about what the sin of our nation will do to us. To the very core of our nation, America needs revival. But revival doesn't begin with a nation. Revival, renewal begins with people like you and me. Seldom do people ever go on down just a few verses to verse 24, just six verses later. And Jesus says, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. That's like saying, take up your electric chair. That's like, take up your lethal dose of poison. What's he saying? There's no cost too great to follow Christ. You know, Paul was willing to make that price. Becky and I were in the very maritime prison where Paul paid the ultimate price. We were in the Colosseum where many believers paid the ultimate price. We walked those streets where followers of Jesus had their lips sewn so they couldn't praise God and sing hymns. They were willing to pay the price. How blessed we are in this country. Free to worship, free to share, free to live for Christ. Have we become so consumed with the blessings of God that the gold and the silver that none of us had without Christ, we've made idols? You see, I'm not just talking to those who haven't given their heart to Jesus. I'm talking to all of us this morning. We need renewal. God, show me your glory. Would you stand with me here in the sanctuary? And would you, if you're at home, would you stand with me right now and just bow your head and agree with me in prayer? I want to pray for those of you that maybe you have never crossed the line and given your heart to Jesus. I have a friend today that promised me he was going to watch. And I hope you're watching. No one knows but you and me. I have another friend who just contacted me out of the blue from here in the community and says, I'm going to be watching tomorrow. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm asking you today, would you consider the cost? And would you ask Jesus to come into your life? You can do that just by simply saying, Lord Jesus, Lord means you're the boss, you're the master. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. 
I believe that you paid the price so that God's justice could be satisfied and His love and compassion could be poured out upon my life. Please forgive all of my sins. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. <laughs> and if you did that, I'm telling you, heaven is rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. I want you to let me know. But I want you just to pray, and I want to pray with our church and everyone else that may be watching. Father, I ask you to consume us once again with glorious thoughts, glorious theology, Lord. Oh, Father, when we think about all of this, we can't help but drop to our knees and surrender fully to you. And we find ourselves saying, fire, fire, let the fire of God descend upon my life and consume everything that is not like you, O oh Lord. Let my thoughts about you become glorious and faithful. May I pray for the things you taught me to pray for. And may I take up my cross and follow you more fully than ever. Because I am hidden with you in Christ. Now, show me your glory. And pour your fullness out in my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. Hey, would you stay for just a second longer? Pastor Corey is going to come, and he's going to share with you something I'd love to send you tomorrow to help you go, and then he's going to dismiss us. I love you. Thank you so much for watching. And while he's coming up this morning as well, please don't forget that you can give to Woodland by texting 77977, or you can go right onto our website and give this morning and help us by being faithful with your tithes and your offerings, especially with your missions gifts as well. It helps us to continue to do what God has called us to do in this community. Pastor Corey. Esther, if you're watching online or if you're here today and you prayed that prayer along with Pastor today, we have a book for you that we'd love to give you. Um, you can write right now, um, just say, hey, I got that, I prayed that prayer and I'd like that book and we'll get in touch with you. Or you can email us at office at woodland.church and uh, let us know you prayed that prayer with Pastor today and we'll get your information and we'll send you that book. And for those of you here, as you exit, just stop by one of the tables there and say, can I get one of those books? We'd be glad to give it to you as well. But we want to say thank you so much for joining with us today. Uh, please don't forget to give. We have ushers at the back that are going to be waiting for you. Um, you can just drop off your offering as well as the communication cards. And so drop those in there as well. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful week.